0: You can't have power unless there's um, economic power and an economic base. You, you can't have a seat at the table unless you're moving the needle. And the way the needle moves in uh, America is economically. Um, so that's, that's what it's about. It's about investing and reinvesting in yourself and in your community. And, and then that way, you are a force to be reckoned with.
1: Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. And I'm here with my colleague from Share Our Strength, Pamela Taylor, our Chief Communications Officer. And we've got a special guest today, Anthony Anderson, star and producer of Blackish, also in many other films and TV shows, uh, and somebody that I think of as a foodie because he's also been on Chopped and both competed and judged, uh, Iron Chef. And we're always talking about food on this show. And I think, Anthony, if I'm not mistaken, you're eating Chinese food right now.
0: Eating some Chinese food right now. A little beef and broccoli and um, a
1: little chicken fried rice. Ooh, that sounds good. Where did your love of food come from? And how did you end up on Chopped and Iron Chef?
0: My love of food came from necessity. My mother got addicted to bingo 35, 37 years ago. I came home one day. And she said, um, I'm going to play bingo. Your daddy's going to be hungry. There's a chicken in the refrigerator. Cook it. And she left. I, was gonna- <laughs> I grew up watching Julia Childs and the Galloping Gourmet and some other things. And it just so happened that day, Julia Childs roasted a chicken. So I, I, we, we had an avocado tree on our property, we had a lemon tree, an orange tree. And my mother had a little garden in the back where we grew some herbs. So I went. I, I roasted the chicken, stuffed it with some uh, some onions and some herbs and uh, some citrus. Got a little garlic and a little, made my little garlic butter and and and, and I, I remember what Julia Childs did and I put it in between the breast meat and the skin. I roasted that and I, we. I cooked um, a can of whole kernel corn. <laughs> Some, some biscuits, some Pillsbury dough biscuits, and some powdered mashed potatoes. Powdered Idaho potatoes. And I that and had that dinner ready for when my dad came home. And he came home, he said, boy, your mama put her foot in this today. And I was like, "Mom didn't cook that? He said, who did? I said, I did. And he just gave me this look. And he said, what are we eating tomorrow? <laughs> I was like, what, what are So that's how my love for uh, cooking happened. It it, it happened out of necessity. And then I just became a a self-proclaimed foodie. And for some reason, the Food Network found out through a mutual friend and invited me on the Food Network. And I was a judge on Iron Chef America for five seasons. And I competed on Iron Chef America. And then from there, they invited me to compete on Chopped. I competed on Chopped, and then I just befriended Chef Mike Simon, um, uh, 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 Bobby Flay. uh, The the, the list goes Mario Batali. The list goes on and on. Sonny Anderson. These became my friends, and and I'm just now in 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 the cooking space.
1: Thank you for doing this. You know, you've been a terrific supporter of Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign, and. Uh, done a number of events for us and mc one in Beverly Hills. And, uh, you know, I, I love how philanthropic and charitable you are. But what to me is most unique and powerful about what you're doing is you go so far beyond charity and philanthropy. Actually, your commitment to kind of elevating social justice issues through the medium in which you work. Uh, when I think of Blackish, my colleague, Pamela Taylor, who is on with us and I were talking about, you know, what else can we think of that even comes close to Blackish in terms of a weekly way of both entertaining and illuminating and dealing with topics that are difficult for a lot of people to do it. We both came up with All in the Family, which is God knows how many years ago. But uh, you, you've done something which, uh, you know, just it just doesn't happen today in the community of creative artists and uh it must be an amazing feeling i just wanted to ask you to talk about that a little bit
0: you know it 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 is an amazing feeling you know kenya barris and i sat down almost eight years ago now and we talked about what was missing from the landscape of television um for viewers like he and myself and um we talked about shows like all all um all in the Family, uh, Good Times, The Jeffersons, uh, Cosby, shows that had social commentary, uh, shows that uh, had unapologetic characters, uh, regardless of um, where their state, what their station in life may be and, and in your face. Um and that—that that what was—that's what was missing for us, and that's the type of show that we wanted to, that we wanted to create, and we wanted to do. And um, then we just started talking about our families. Uh, you know, both of us are first generation successful. He from Inglewood, California; me from Compton, California. And the trappings of our success. You know, I. Uh, our, our, both of our families were the only African American families living in our respective neighborhoods, even though we lived less than 10 minutes uh, away from each other. Um, my son, not only was he the only chocolate drop in his class, he was the only chocolate drop in his grade for a little more than three years. So we we talked about those things and uh, how they affected us and, um, again, the trappings of our success. and. You know, Kenya sat back and said, you know, it feels like I went from raising a Black family to a blackish family. <laughs> and um, and uh, after, after our meeting, he called me uh, a week and a half, almost two weeks later, and said, I got our show. And uh, it was everything that we talked about uh, and everything that we wanted to talk about uh, that we felt was missing from, um, from television. And, and here we are going into our, eight, our eighth season.
1: It feels like one of the few shows that family, it feels like, you know, people talk about appointment TV because you can binge anything and record anything today, but it feels like one of the few shows that families still gather around and watch together. It's, it's, it's kind of a, it means more to be with other people in the room and to be able to talk about it afterwards. And before I bring Pamela into this conversation, I just wanted to ask you, do, do you get, Pushback from the industry? Do you get pushback from fans? Do people say, "Hey, I just want to be entertained. I, I, I don't need the, you know, the messaging or your point of view." And if you do, how do you deal with that?
0: No, haven't haven't received any pushback at all. Uh, in in fact, um, more people stop us on the street and talk about how they use our show as a teaching tool in their classrooms, uh, at the collegiate level, uh, at the, the secondary level, and, and grade school level. Um So, never had any pushback about, you know. I just want to be entertained. Uh, you know, our show is is entertaining and it's also informative. And well, um, I'm sorry.
1: No, well, you're right. And I see. I would have I would have assumed that others would be fearful to do a show like you do. Like to me, it took a lot of courage because I had assumed there would be some. Push back, and you know, just by virtue of the fact that you're almost the only one doing this, I figured others might be afraid to do it. But um, but it, it it's almost like maybe you're making it safe to be able to help educate and entertain at the same time.
0: I, I hope that's what we're doing. Uh, you know, uh, at, at the time that our show aired, almost eight years ago, premiered eight years ago. Um, I don't think there were many. If, if at all, any uh, sitcoms um, uh, about an African American family, you know, and and then for us to um, to be a show, I'm not going to say con- as controversial as ours, but you know, to, to be a show that dealt with those issues, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, um, um, post nato depression. Um, you know politics, uh, racism, sexism, colorism uh, I, I don't think there were shows out there doing what we were doing, so we we were kind of like the beacon for that and and hopefully we ushered in other shows uh, after us, you know with points of view uh, that that would normally have uh, have an avenue to do so, but with the success of our show came fresh off the boat, um, Christella Chris uh, i can't remember. Uh, uh, then there was, uh, a couple of other shows, uh, that, you know, kind of fell by the wayside. But uh, at one point, you know, we, we kind of, um, you know, we're, we're leading the way, uh, for, for minorities to be able to be on broadcast television and, and tell their stories.
1: Well, you know, you talk about it as a teaching tool. My colleague Pamela, and jump in here, Pamela, and tell Anthony just a little bit about your, your own background. But Pamela is using this as a teaching tool, not in school, but in our organization at Share Our Strength, because I can't tell you how many YouTube clips of Blackish she has circulated at critical moments over the last year. Uh, Pamela, you, you ought to just talk about what you've been doing, because it's been a, a, a huge thing for all of us to be on the receiving end of those.
2: Sure. So I have to first take a moment of personal privilege and say I have been a fan of yours for many, many years. So this is such a delight. But most importantly, I got to give some HBCU love. I am a Hampton graduate, but my brother went to Howard, so we keep it all in the family. Um, And I know you are an Howard alum. So I always want to give respect. Um, Billy, you know, When we were putting together our uh, plan for Black History Month this year, you know, Share Our Strength has intentionally worked towards our diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I've been with the organization now for just under nine months and really trying to find ways to be creative and telling stories and educating people internally and externally about the topic of poverty and hunger. But for Black History Month, um, as Billy mentioned, I pulled several clips from some of some of the most beautiful work you all have done in telling stories of Black history, uh, the lemonade episode, after the uh, Trump campaign, just some really, really great moments that captured so much in just a few minutes. And Anthony, I'll tell you the notes that I got back from some of our younger staff, white staff to say, thank you for sharing these. Thank you for, you know, giving us this insight. Um, And I do believe I have some new blackish viewers for you. So it was double impact there, but you've done some, some incredible stories and tell us kind of how do, you, how do you come to the idea of this is what we want to highlight, this is what we want to work into our show, and how do you make it educational and entertaining in such a beautiful way?
0: Well, first, I'd like to give credit to um, Kenya, uh, you know, for creating the show and, and, and creating the vision. Uh, and, and now Courtney Lilly, who is our EP and showrunner, and the the wonderful staff that we have, uh, you know, cranking out 24 episodes a year for the past seven years. Um, You know, but the stories that we tell are authentic to who we are. Uh, You know, the majority of everything that you've seen in every episode uh, has been pulled from our lives, you know, And, and I think that's what allows our show to resonate with an audience worldwide the way that it has because of its authenticity and its truthfulness. Uh, these are shared experiences that we have. And, you know, more often than not, you know, it's, they're, they're universal. It, it just so happens that, you know, this family is an African-American family, but, you know, who, who who is living the American dream, who wants to give their children, who wants to provide for their family, uh, and give their children more than what they had growing up who who doesn 't want that and 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 I think that's why I, like I say, our show resonates with an audience the way that it does before our show aired. I took our pilot episode around the country um and and took it to fortune five hundred companies uh, for employee viewing um, essence festival and and things like that and um, at the end of every uh, showing. Um. there was a standing ovation, but more often than not, more non-Black people said, when I see your family on that screen, I see mine. And that's when I knew that we had something special and that we had captured uh, lightning in a bottle. Um, and, and it's about the specificity, you know, and we weren't trying to pander to any particular um audience we were just telling these these stories specific to this family uh and 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 because of uh, of that specificity it was able to uh to reach the masses and and um you know i, I credit our, our writing staff and 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 our and our cast as well who you know deliver these lines and bring these characters to life but uh, the majority of everything that you've seen, have, uh, uh, we we we've lived and experienced, and and uh, and so as our audience, and I think that's why they appreciate what we do.
2: Speaking, Speaking of characters uh, on the show and in real life, um, your mother, so Jennifer Lewis, that plays your mother on the show, and then you know Mama Doris, your mother in real life. Um, you 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 talk so beautifully. Uh, about you know the love of mothers for their children, and you depict it well on the show with the flashback scenes of you when you were young with your mother and being she being a single mom, and so many of the children that we engage with through our no kid hungry campaign are coming from households that are dual parents that are single parents, but what we try to Um, embody is these are hardworking parents that just have fallen short in ways of being able to make ends meet every month because of limited income for whatever set of circumstances. Um, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about how you, um, you know, tell these stories with Jennifer Lewis and then the beautiful relationship that you have with your own mother.
0: You know, growing up in Compton, you know, my dad, my dad was, I came from a two parent household, you know, but struggling like every other family um, in our neighborhood that we grew up. We, we didn't know we were poor. Um, I, I remember days when we were excited because we would have breakfast for dinner. Mm. Oh, shit. We haven't, we haven't scrambled eggs and. And biscuits and uh, bacon. Um, I didn't realize that until I got older, that that's all my parents could afford at that time. Once the mortgage was paid, the car notes were paid, the insurance and the utilities and all of that. We thought it was a treat. Right. Um, But, you know, a dozen eggs from the egg house down the street uh, was 99 cents. Uh, a, A roll of biscuits were... Seventy nine cents. Uh, bacon uh, wasn't that expensive. So, you know, I had three brothers and sisters and it was my mom and dad. And, you know, we we would uh, we would have breakfast for dinner, like I said. And I, and I thought that was the biggest treat around until I got older and, and then would have conversations with my parents. And, um, and they were like, that, that's 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 all we could afford. You know, that, that's all we had. Um, so, you know, in, in telling those stories, that, that goes to the authenticity of, 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 that, that I spoke of earlier, you know, the relationship between a mother and son, how she would do anything uh, to protect and, and shield her child um, from the outside world, uh, as in Ruby and Andre, uh, as in Mama D and me and, and in real life. Uh, so that, that's what these relationships are rich with. They're, they're, they're rich with love. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're rich with conflict. They're, you know, they're rich with all of those things. And, um, you know, it, it just goes to show you, you know, what family is, is all about and, and what family is willing, what they're willing to go through to see it to the end.
1: You can't you can't say it better than that. Um, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, I, I wanted to get your sense, Anthony, of how the show uh, intersects or doesn't with changing political climates. We're in such a different political climate now than we were six months ago with the Biden administration. Um, Does it give you hope? And, uh, you know, the the show seems to stay so unbelievably current to what's going on in the world. Uh, What kind of challenge is that in terms of just the the creation of it?
0: Well, I like to think of us as um, agents of change. You know, um, we sit back and just, you know, I was a part of Law & Order for the last three seasons of of that show. And those those storylines were ripped from the headlines. Well, and and that's what made that show timely. Uh, What makes our show timely is that we talk about real issues and how it affects us in real time. And not necessarily snatching it from the headlines, but telling the story in an organic way. Um and you see it from the perspective of three generations from uh pops and Ruby, rainbow and andre and 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 the children. but you also get it from uh, um a fourth perspective of um a, a mixed race woman uh living in this world and so just how things affect us all you're looking at how the political climate uh the me too movement the the black lives matter movement or or any of these movements that have affected us all how it's affected this family from four different perspectives and it's just about us telling these stories uh and, and showing the interaction between the three generations and, and how we resolve that, and how it affects us um, it 's just about being authentic and, um, and seeing where that takes us and just, just going on that emotional roller coaster ride uh, and holding on because you never know where you 're going to go when andre 's at the helm um, and, and then you know you have Bo there who's actually guiding. The roller coaster and and keeping us all calm.
1: Um, Anthony, do your kids at home ever have to say, "Dad, do not put this in the show"?
0: Ha! All the time.
1: <laughs> I bet they do.
0: All the time, and, and and two things. Once I was in in a heated debate with my daughter, who's twenty five, and at the time she might have been nineteen or twenty, and she had the audacity to say why can't I be more like my character on TV? (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully I am because I pull from my life to bring this character to life. But in reality, the conflict and the resolve has to happen in 22 minutes. And I have 15 writers that's making this happen. You know, I don't have any of that under this roof. It's just you and I who have a difference of opinion. And I'm your father. Um, You're my daughter. I'm a 40 plus year old male. You are a 19, 20 year old woman. We are going to have a difference of opinion. So we're just going to have to agree to disagree on certain things. Uh, Then there was an episode uh, where Junior was caught masturbating. And, you know, everybody knows that, you know, this was based on our, our show is based on the life of King and I and our children. <laughs> and so my son went to school after that episode, and they thought it was about my son. Oh, <laughs> God. You know, go out there and tell people that that wasn't me. In actuality, I was the one who uh, got busted masturbating as a child by my mother. Uh, but we just, you know, threw it on, on the son on the television. So he was like, yo, Dad, could, could you... Could you not air out all of our dirt, dirty laundry on television? Because, you know, some of it is true and and, and and some of it isn't. Well, it's not true because it didn't happen to him. It happened to me. Um, so, And everybody thinks it's about me. So could you at least clear that up the next time you're on television and you're telling that story? Could you at least let him know that wasn't me? Well, I was like, all right, son, I'll, I'll try to clean that up as best I can. <laughs> Everyday cop to it.
2: Well, we've got it captured here on the podcast form, just in case you needed some reinforcement.
0: Well, it's it's a a panel. It's five years uh, uh, too late for that one. (laughs) Okay,
2: duly noted.
1: You know, one of the things I've heard you talk about off the show, Anthony, and when, when we started talking, I said one of the things that I find so kind of powerful about your voice is that you go beyond uh, what most people think of as kind of traditional charity or philanthropy. But you've talked about the importance of uh, black economic empowerment, economic growth, not just having a seat at somebody's table, but building your own table and reinvesting and recycling money uh, uh, into the black community. Uh, how how do you think that fits into what we all need to understand about this conversation, this current national conversation about equity?
0: Well, you can't have power unless there's um, economic power and an economic base. You you can't have a seat at the table unless you're moving the needle. And the way the needle moves in uh, America is economically. Um, so that's that's what it's about. It's about investing and reinvesting in yourself and in your community, and and then that way you are a force to be reckoned with, because now you have the ability to make change, real change. You have the ability to move the needle. Um, you have a seat you've earned uh, and paid for. Your seat at the table. So now you have a voice. You have a voice in um, in the say so of what happens in your community, in your school district, in your area. Uh, and and that's what that's what I, I meant when, when I talked about you know not only having a seat at the table but building your own table and having people gather their seats around your table. Um, because there there's you, you can't make a real difference or make any change unless there is an economic base from which you can make those decisions from for yourself and for your community
1: Pamela does this sound familiar
2: I was just about to say Billy it sounds like Anthony was listening in on one of our meetings last week
1: well, well Pamela, I mean, Pam, one of the things that Pamela has been t- talking to us and teaching us uh, Anthony and and this kind of goes to actually the 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 origins of share our strength. You know, we're an organization that's focused on ending childhood hunger, but our tagline initially, and, and, and Pamela has, has kind of brought it back to life, is that it takes more than food to fight hunger. You know, it's exactly what you're talking about in terms of economic empowerment. We, I mean, we can feed kids always, but the real challenge is how to make sure that their families aren't going to be in a position where they need that assistance in the first place. Uh, To me, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what equity is about. And uh, that's an effort that Pamela is leading internally, but you should talk a little bit about it, Pamela.
2: Sure. So, I mean, what you just described, Anthony, is exactly what I've been talking about. And it's about generational poverty. We see kids who come from families that have had two or more generations of poverty. And while hunger is right now a core issue for our focus, but Hunger comes because people are impoverished. And what I feel like we have this incredible opportunity before us is how can we play a part in ending generational poverty, helping kids when they leave high school and they're no longer benefiting from the No Kid Hungry programs at school? How do we help them with economic development, workforce development? investment, employment, and then, you know, what comes with that is, you know, uh, benefits, healthcare, uh, investment in in retirement plans, all of these things that some of us um, recognize, we're going to have to expand our wings a bit at Share Our Strength and share some more of our strengths with those who are trying to figure out how do i not repeat what has happened to my family for so long so what you've just described um is very much in line with what we've been talking about are there other um other aspects of kind of ending this generational poverty that you've been talking about or thinking about
0: you know it's it's about education and and you talk about investing it's about you know people like uh, you and I, and, and, and Billy for that matter, you know, investing um, in the youth, in, investing in the community, uh, and, and you know, not necessarily giving back monetarily, but giving back and teaching and, and sharing information. Because a lot of these things, uh, the way that this world is working and moving, it's controlled by a select few whoever they may be, and they share that information. Uh, They all sit around the table and they share that information with one another and they go off to their respective corners and they make the decisions that they make. Well, more often times than not, people like you and I, Pamela, are not in those rooms and are not at that table. So, you know, it goes back to building economic wealth. Uh, that way, we can have a seat at the table, and once we're at the table, we're getting that information. Now we must be agents of change, and it's up to us to go back to our community uh, and impart that wisdom, uh, and 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 do more than just impart that wisdom and, and share that, uh, you know, give give them the tools and And be practical and, and show them how to be practical with that information, and show them how we can build upon that. so it's not just you or myself sitting at the table it It, it becomes you know many of us sitting at the table, getting that information and taking it back um, and investing that in in the community and in the youth that That's what I believe.
2: Absolutely. And I I know we're about to wrap up, but I just want to give you an opportunity to also share for all of the young folks that might be listening to this podcast and trying to think about what they might do after high school. Can you talk about your experience a bit at Howard University, Historically Black College, and what that what those four years meant for you?
0: Howard University was uh, shaped me into the man that I am today. Yeah. Uh, In terms of my work ethic, in terms of my survival in this industry and in the world in general. Um, I met my wife there. Um, You know, memories that, you know, will last a lifetime. Friendships that I forged that uh, have lasted the last 30 years. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Puffy and I went to Howard together, Marlon Wayans and I. Paula J. Parker, Wendy Raquel Robinson, Wendy Davis, Laz Alonzo, uh, Lance Gross. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't, I had w- I w- already left by the time Chadwick Bozeman uh, had got to Howard. But uh, Ananda Lewis, AJ Calloway, the, 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 the list goes on and on. And, and I look at uh, all, and I'm, I'm just not saying those names to name drop. But I, I look I, I, as, as I say those names, I look at how we've all gone off in our respective fields and have become the successes that we are today. And I look at how it all started uh, on the campus of Howard University, with the exception of one or two of those names that I just mentioned. We were all there together. And um, for the most part, we all knew one another. Yeah. And, and, to, and to see us go off and prosper the way that we had. Taraji P. Henson. I can't forget about Taraji. Yes, yes. Uh, Remarkable. Yeah, yeah for us to go off and to do what we're doing and to have done what we're, we, we, we've done for the last two-plus decades is, is just amazing. It's just it's- amazing. So,
2: Tremendous and um, inspiring, I, I, and not to mention, we got uh, a, a madam vice president out of the Howard exactly. halls.
1: This is almost like,
0: divine, like, one, a.k.a.
1: <laughs> this is and, like
0: and, and I'm sorry, Billy, but not not only um, those people that that I went to school with who are all, who are all successes, but just the simple fact that I was there. With ten to twelve thousand other people that looked like me, who came from the same place that I came from, who understood my struggle, yes, and we were there, getting an education together, moving and pushing the needle forward, and advancing who we are as a people together. There was nothing like that, you know. I can't. I can't compare that. To anything uh, in my life, o- outside of, you know just being there and just seeing a sea of black and brown people doctors, lawyers, accountants, entertainers, uh, physicists, uh, future vice presidents mm-hmm. of, of the world, all there at the same time, doing the same thing. Um that, that's what I would like to tell the kids that are listening today. You know, if you can go to college, if you can go to an HBCU, please do so.
2: I was just about to say, isn't it is an experience of a lifetime. It it's a forever family, um, a mutual respect. And uh you have captured it perfectly. Just listening to you talk, I I just went back to some homecomings and some late nights in the dorms and some parties at the union and all of what you just talked about brought back a lot of great memories. So um, 100% agree with you. Could not have made a better decision in my life than to go to an HBCU.
1: That that, that was the list of names. That was just goosebumps stuff for me. That was just incredible to hear. You are so great anthony just so sweet to take this time to be with us your words mean so much to so many and as from uh, pamela circulating the youtube clips to all of us watching weekly uh you really inspired us with your commitment to changing the world through entertaining and educating i just can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us
0: no no thank you for having me billy and, and thank you for having me as well pamela
2: Absolutely. My pleasure, my friend. This has been a wonderful, a wonderful way to end an East Coast day.
1: Um, mm-hmm. You've been listening to Ad Passion and Stir. Uh, it's been our privilege to be talking with Anthony Anderson. You can uh, find other episodes at com and rate us and rank us uh, on behalf of my colleague, Pamela Taylor and the entire team at Share Our Strength and our producer at uh, District Productive, Paul Whittle. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I'm Billy Short.
0: Pamela, and I just like to say, Pamela, there's yeah. only one Hu. There's only one Hu, and you know that.
2: <laughs> because this is our first conversation, I'm going to let that slide. But when I pull my seat up to that table for dinner out in LA, we're going to have a conversation, my friend. <laughs>
0: We'll have hey, the uh, conversation. Bring your
2: bring your institute with you. We can have that conversation. <laughs> well, see, now that you went there, I'm just gonna have to close by saying I went to the best HU. <laughs> you didn't go to Howard. You that? <laughs>